0: Welcome to The Lion's Den with Seth, a podcast where progressive men and women can learn and teach each other the ways of the land. The Lion's Den is where royalty comes to counsel. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Seth.
1: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Lions Den. My name is Seth. I want to welcome y'all here. Welcome. You could have been anywhere, and like me and uh man Herm was talking about backstage. If you're watching right now, apparently your team did not make it. You understand? But it's okay. <laughs> hey, we got next year. Hey, look, let me just go in and bring in my homie though. What's going on, bro?
2: Man, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm here because my team ain't here. You know what I mean? You see, our other two brothers is not with us today because guess what? Their teams are playing. You know? Isn't that horrible? <laughs> horrible. Hey, the commitment, bro. They was hey, like. Man, I horrible. don't know. If the Titans was playing, I wouldn't be right here neither. I know. I can
1: dig it. Hey, listen, if de- well, you already know. it uh, be a but, long time before we worry about that. You, you see, look, it's a couple of things you don't got to say out loud. You dig? But it's all good. What's going on, y'all? Hey, I see New York in the building, Shot in the building. What's going on? In Delaware is in the building. Man, hey, so how's your weekend, dog? It's good, man. Hey, real quick, real
2: hmm. quick, man. I, w- I wanted to talk about the question that was asked in Lion Prize Network.
1: Uh oh! Oh, you want to do that now?
2: Just real fast, man. And for those of y'all that don't know, we do have a group called Alliance Pride Network. You can find <laughs> us on on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we we post a lot about the show, and then we also post things to to make you think. And Seth mm-hmm. posted something about uh, meeting me, uh, getting help up. Mm-hmm. A, man, a man was looking at a woman sitting up on a pedestal, up on a platform, and said, "Hey, come down here. Meet me down here." And the woman said, "Won't you just come up?" And the man said that I can't. Right? And the woman just said, "Oh." And that sparked the conversation. Like, was the woman wrong for not wanting to pull him up, or you know what I'm saying? Was the man you and the man saying that he can't come up? You know what I'm saying? Or was the or was the woman still wrong for uh, not wanting to help him up?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm Mhm. so
2: real quick man because i know we got our guests waiting but real quick what did you think about that conversation
1: bro you know what man uh and i posted that i think it was like three something in the morning man because i was like i wonder where are we right where are we at and you know comfortably in you know society and relationships and by looking at the the discussion it was still polar opposites majority the women was like, well, look, he should try and do this and this. If he if he say he can't, he already cut himself down. However, my thought process is, well, you don't know what he did to get there. And we don't know who put her there, or how she got there. Nobody said, hey, come and Come down here and help me get up. He's just yeah. saying, hey, come, you know, meet me here. But what you think, though, man, you know, the bigger thing for me, man,
2: I think about, you know, what I'm saying I said inside that inside that post is. I wonder what other races and cultures talk about. Mm-hmm. It, it, even though I'm biracial, you know what I'm saying? I deal with mostly, mostly black people and black women. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, so I don't know if other cultures and races are having these same kind of discussions when it comes to male and female relations. Mm-hmm. Like, are white women saying, you know what I'm saying? Hey, nah, you got to come up here. Like, I, I don't see that. You know what yeah. I mean? So I just wonder what we can do to get past that stuff. You know what I'm saying? to Where that's no longer a discussion.
1: Well, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I think we're going to pin this. So when we do have our DENS discussions with the fellas, um, I think that what we can do is um, talk about that a little bit different and deeper because I do believe there are things that's causing us or certain cultures to be able to have those conversations and ones that don't even see a need to because they're already operating in, uh, in the space. You dig right. what I'm saying? But. Anyway, y'all, hey, check it out. Yes, the mindset must be mature. Yes, and that's what we do here at the Lions Den. You know what I'm talking about? Well, it's it's not shock jocking. We're here to try to get it in. But ladies and gentlemen, we want to welcome to the den, Arthur Rashad Coleman. What's going on, brother? How you feeling? Welcome to the den.
3: Thank you for having me, fellas. Life is good. Life is good. I'm here. Um, looked at some of your, 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 your um, uh, the podcast that you have. Really enjoyed it, and I'm uh, happy to be here. To see if I can bless your audience also.
1: Yes, absolutely, man, absolutely. And and just thank you, thank you for for being on. Hey, give us an opportunity and tell the Dan, tell the pride who you are.
3: Sure. Yeah. So uh, again, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Rashad Coleman. I'm originally from Wilmington, Delaware, um, where I was where where I grew up at. Um, when I was three years old, my father was uh, arrested and sentenced to his um, growing up, you know, rough, rough lifestyle, but, but nothing out of the norm for a lot of children that grow up in, in, in impoverished neighborhoods, uh, played some sports, uh, went to Delaware State University. I know you had a, one of your podcasts about the HBCU experience. I wish I re- really could have blessed you uh, with my presence on that one. Uh, so go State. Uh, went to Delaware State University, um, worked hard, graduated um, in, with, with, a ma- with a major in mass communications, a little later, I went into law enforcement. Um, at the same time, I was going into law enforcement. Uh, my father, who had been you locked away for about 27 years at that point, had, uh, he had he had told me that he was getting out, and he got out, and we began that pain, painstaking um, job of trying to rebuild our relationship. And uh, you know, as I was becoming a police officer, I was wondering what my family would think because my father was gone for so long, and uh, they always you know maintained his innocence. And we began looking into his case and um you know became a police officer and and got married and and, and you know had some wonderful kids and and that's why we're here now to, to kind of talk about that journey. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay.
2: Hey, so hey, first first and foremost, man, I want to thank you for coming on to the show today. Thanks, Rashad. Uh so my first question for you is um talking about you becoming a police officer and the fact that your father was locked away and your family maintained his innocence for all those years. He was locked up for like twenty seven years, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So, did you becoming a police officer was that kind of your way to rebel against your father, or show that you wasn't any like what that wasn't you wasn't like your father? Mm-hmm. What, what, what went to your decision to become a cop?
3: So, I, I would. All, when I was young, um, we had you know growing up in the inner city, you have a lot of interaction with police officers. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't really know any police officer's name. Uh, we rarely had any black police officers in Wilmington uh, where we get stopped all the time. But one thing I knew was they had a presence, you know, when it got out, people listened to them. And I said to myself, well, what if I was a a police officer that was doing the right thing? Um, Because we were stopped and searched, I mean, countless, countless of times. And I knew that they were in a position to do a lot of good in the neighborhoods, especially neighborhoods uh, like the one I come from in Wilmington, Delaware. And I said, well, maybe if I can get in that position, I can get in that position and be a light to the community based on the presence that they have. Um, when I went to my mother with this decision, she wasn't, you know, as you, as you probably know, she wasn't extremely happy that I was going to join the law, a law enforcement that was responsible for essentially tearing our, our family apart uh, 27 years ago. Um, and just to rewind back a little bit, when I was three years old, my father, he was arrested and uh, charged with uh, kidnapping, sexual assault and uh, rape of 89, uh, 89- seventy nine year old woman in uh Newark, delaware back in nineteen
1: eighty seven hold on wait 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 sure. wait wait a minute now when we had this conversation i didn't, the lady was how old
3: one of the one well it was two actually two women one of them was seventy nine and how old yeah. was the other one the other one was twenty two at the time
1: wow go ahead brother yeah. continue
3: yeah so uh just to just take you real quickly brief briefly through uh, what happened that night um a woman was going to an ATM, um, while she was at the ATM, a gentleman, uh, an African, well, she alleges an African American male grabbed her and, uh, drug her into her vehicle where he drove her around and, uh, sexually assaulted her. Uh, she jumps out the vehicle, the male runs, uh, police allege that that male then breaks into a 79 year old woman's home, uh, beats her half to death and rapes her and, and walks out. Uh, the police do a search, um, you know, riding around the neighborhood, trying to corner off everything. My father, who had to be to work in about a half hour, was walking to work. Police stopped him, questioned him. Um, They brought the victim to him. The victim said it wasn't him. He essentially kept going. Uh, About two hours later, police and detectives showed up at his job, Arrested him, and you know, there it was. I never see my father again for 20, 27 years.
1: Whoa, wait, wait, wait. So, look, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if y'all heard this, and I know that uh, we're in this society that we're used to individuals not admitting at that time. Like, I'm, I'm sure you're uh, aware of the Emmett Till case, and it's they're remaking it right, it's on television right now, where individuals just said, Hey, no, he did it. Knowing that they were lying, but in this case, in your father's case, the person said it was not him. Yeah,
3: the, the female said it was not him. Um for a couple for a bunch of different reasons. But um one one of the reasons he didn't have the clothing on that she described, um, and this is minutes, you know, minutes after after the incident happened, but another reason was the facial hair she said was a lot different from the facial hair of the person that allegedly um kidnapped her. So Yeah. Damn. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to process. It right. is.
1: It is. So
2: so as a young man, how did you, your your family maintain that he was innocent? Right. Mm-hmm. How do you personally feel about his innocence at that time?
3: So, so, you know, growing up in the inner city, you have so many family members and friends that did commit crimes that were in jail, whether you were in jail for drugs, you know, in jail for, you know, domestic violence, whatever it is. You know, your all your boys' parents go to jail. You know, especially the father, especially the African American father. So, I didn't know the particulars of the of the crime growing up. I just knew my father was in jail, right? And it was a, you know, unfortunately, it was a badge of honor, just like anybody. Yeah, my pop is in jail doing, you know, double life right now. I had no clue why, um, but I knew that he he was in jail for a long time. So, in my mind, I was thinking, yeah, maybe you know, maybe he did commit whatever whatever the crime was that they said he that they said he committed. Because from the outside looking in, you would look at it and say, this is, a just, this is a justice system that does the right thing, tries as hard as they can try. And if someone gets found guilty, then usually they're guilty. Um, but it wasn't until later on when I became a police officer um, that I said, well, maybe, you know, maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's not the case.
1: Wow. Wow. So all right, we're going to go into that a little bit more, man. I, I just want to wrap up my mind and and probably the audience's mind around, here you are, he's three years old. Oh, you're three years old. And that's all you know, that your father is, is in prison. So was there a time when you became older that did you either just accept that it was what it was or did you feel as though, wait, I am who I am and there's nothing in me that is you know that that um i guess primitive to want to do something like that right just by happenstance of that being your father did you ever at a time say no i don't want to accept this growing up like something can't be right or did you just you know accept it for him just being a criminal that you didn't know the you know full extent of it
3: yeah so i didn't i didn't know the particulars i knew that it had something to do with a white woman and I knew uh, be- because of an, uh, an exchange me and my mother had when I was, I think I was in eighth grade, uh, when I told her that I was, I was you know, dating this white girl at school and uh, that was the first time I ever seen my mom cry about something and she sat me down and you know, tears are coming out of her eyes and she's just like, no, you know you can't go this route. You know, your father went through this. This is something you just can't do. Um, you know, I didn't listen to her. I'm a young you know, eighth grader. I think I know it all about everything, but then I had me thinking like, man, what, ha- what really happened with my father? And, uh, and so later on after, you know, when I was in the p- police academy it was the first time I actually read through his story and, those are, it, and it has to be something within this conversation because that's the exact same thing I thought in my head. There's no way mm-hmm. somebody with my DNA would think about doing something like that that's on this paper. And for that reason, I got to dive into it, right? In law enforcement, you have hunches and things of that sort, but that doesn't, you know that doesn't prove anything. Um, but that's where it all kind of started. At was right there. With there's no way somebody that 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 has the same DNA as me will commit a heinous crime like this.
1: Yo, hold on, hey, Herman, Look, let me let me ask this question. Shout out to Miss Lily Wilson. That's on oh, man. She wanted to know how was your relationship with your father while he was in prison.
3: Yeah, so my so my mother did an awesome job at always um, holding still holding him up as a father. Um, You know, I write about it um, in a book that we'll talk about eventually about my first time going into jail when I think I was around five years old and uh, just having some anxiety come off of me when I went in there to talk with him. Um, But, you know, our conversations were short. You know, it was all these awkward men walking around with badges on. And, you know, he was in his jumpsuit that everybody else was wearing. And, uh, you know, he kept telling my mom everything is going to be all right. It's a lie. It's a lie. But I'm five years old, so I didn't know anything. And uh growing up, it was just kind of like another thing, right? You go down to the see your see your dad maybe once every five years, you know, as the years go on, it it spans out even longer. And uh it's essentially like you're just talking to a stranger. I mean, from from my point of view, because I you know, he went in when I was so young. So mm-hmm. we didn't have much of a relationship uh, mm-hmm. at that point.
2: Wow. Go ahead, Herm. So <laughs> this show right here, you know what I'm saying? We're we getting some really good questions from the audience. And uh Miss Enrico Brand, she said that her father's – her twins, her kid's father, you know what I'm saying, been in jail since they were four. They're 12 now. And they have a similar story. that she's still confused on how to handle the situation? Mm-hmm. What advice could you give her, you know what I'm saying, that she probably has the same feelings as you
3: of how to handle it? What, what's her first steps? Mm. First, first step is you just got to have thick skin. Because everybody's going to turn you down. I mean, like I said at the beginning, most of America, I mean, probably within, you know, all small minority, we probably know better. But most of America just believes that if somebody goes through a a trial and 12 of their peers find them guilty, that they're guilty. Yeah. Right. So you have to you have to fight against that. It's something in, in law enforcement called burden of proof. So the burden of proof essentially means that the state or whoever is charging you has to prove that you did it. It doesn't have to be 100%, but more than likely you did it. Once you're found guilty, now you have to go back and prove that I didn't do it. And you need some kind of evidence to do that. So where I would start at first and foremost, get all the paperwork and evidence that you can preserve because in a lot of states, and we're finding that um, also in Delaware, sometimes they'll have laws on the books that'll say, even if you get a life sentence, we can destroy your evidence. You know, and, and without that evidence, it makes it hard for uh, a judge to, to, to bring your case back up. It makes it hard for all the people that you're talking to to, um, you know, to, to, to get on to your side, so to speak. So I would say start there. Start with all his paperwork. I'm sure he has it while he's inside. If he can make copies somehow, get those get that paperwork out to you. You know, try to maintain his innocence and get the get the paperwork outside. Hold on to it. Cherish it because you never know. Um, the, when the day is going to come where you're going to need it and where somebody's going to ask you for it and Go that's, what, and, and i and we'll, we'll eventually talk about his case. And yeah. how I came to believing that he was innocent and a lot of it has come about just based on simple evidence and simple handwritings that we've been able to preserve.
1: Wow. What you were going to say, huh?
3: Hey, so hey, first of all, appreciate that, but I want to mm-hmm. get a
2: little bit more into you uh, about you for you became a cop, right? You know yeah. what I'm saying? And your, your family. Your family was against that. And then you, you dated a, a white girl when you was in eighth grade. But you take it a step further. You're now married to a white woman. Yeah. And, hold on.
1: Wait. Hold on. Wait. All right. So, look, ladies and gentlemen, look, we're about to take a a, a, we're not going to pause, but we're getting ready to shift. So I want y'all to make sure you you hold on to this. Share this. Share this information, because this is this brother has been through a lot Mm -hmm. already with not just the relationship with his father, but also, too, we're going to go into his family. So that's another thing, not just the current family, but the family that you had growing up having that stigma of a father being in jail you get what i'm saying so it's a whole lot to unpack but go ahead y'all make sure y'all share this go ahead her hey so
2: okay like i was saying um so you a cop your family's like yo what are you doing you know what they did to your dad you know what i'm saying and now you know what i'm saying you 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 dated a a white girl in eighth grade your your mom sat down and cried and talked to you about how she felt about it and then you went on and found the love of your life, uh, who happens to be a white woman. Can you talk to us about how that rocked your family dynamics, uh, what it was like early when you when you made that decision? Um, and then how is it now? And how does your father feel about it?
3: Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome questions. Um, I guess we can start with how my my father feels about it. Um, he, he, he is the most supportive dude I have ever one of the most supportive people I've ever met in my life. And I don't know if that's just from the time that he's been, he's had to sit inside of a cell um, for nearly 28 years, but I went to him um, when I want, wanted to marry my wife. And I felt the need to go to my mother, you know, and my father about this. Um, at the time I was gonna get married, I had already been, been, been dating my, um, my then girlfriend for a while. Uh, so my mom, you know, she kind of knew what was coming eventually, but I felt the need to talk to my father. You know, though I didn't have a relationship with him, um, though we didn't, you know, talk all the time, I still wanted to see what he thinks about this. And so I had to actually took my wife, who was homeschooled, very conservative, comes from a very conservative household. And I said, yo, babe, we gonna go see my dad in in a penitentiary and he's serving life right now. And she was like, all right, come on. You know, and uh, we went there and, you know, I didn't know how he was going to react. Um, because again, a white woman put him in a cell and he's still in there. This is, this is probably 24, 25 years later. Um, but I still felt the need to do it. Right. So we went in there and, and, you know, I'm a little older now. I'm a little huskier now. I had some hair on my face and he barely knew who I was when he first looked at me. But, um, you know, we went, we, we, we hugged, we embraced each other. And then, uh, she went and he went to reach, you know, reach his hand out to her to, to ask how she's doing. And she, you know, embraced him with this big hug. And uh, I just see this big smile on his face, just looking at me while he's hugging her. And I uh, sat down and we talked to him about, you know, getting married. And me and her family, you know, we had our troubles also. We had our, our bumps, bumps and bruises, too. And I said, uh, I said, well, I don't know, you know, what, what's going to happen with this. But it's something I'm thinking about doing. And he said, well, what you waiting on? He said, if you in love, you know, you need to go ahead and do it. Don't let my circumstances limit you in life. man. Don't let my circumstances limit you in life. You got to do what you got to do. I'm in here. Hopefully, I'll get out one day. Hopefully, I'll be able to enjoy you one day. But I, I, I don't want you know. I don't want us both to be in jail, so to speak. He didn't right. use those particular words, but that's kind of what I got from that conversation. Damn,
1: man. Damn, yo. this so. This is so timely. Yeah. You get what I mean? It's so timely, man. This, yo, man. It, it, it that's dope. That's super, yeah. super dope, man. So now, how did that make you feel when he said that? Here he is, still incarcerated. But he's telling you, hey, don't let this stop you. Don't let me stop you. How did you take that when he said that, like, looked you at in your eye, man to man now? It's father and son in a way, but it's still man to man. How did you feel hearing this from your father?
3: So it it, it, it felt great coming from him. But but prior to going, um, when I was consulting with my mother about going and about taking uh, my wife, Amy, I said, well, what do you think he's going to say? And she said. And your, your father doesn't say much, you know, he, you know, but he's going to be happy to see you. and He's going to be happy to see your future wife. And that's exactly what it was. You know, she hadn't talked to him before then to let him know, you know, this is great. Happy, you know, be prepared. Um, but it was exactly like that. And to go a step forward, um, you know, the time was up and we left and you know, shook hands and embraced each other. And she's all crying because, you know, I always talked about my father and how he's in jail. But I got to be this tough guy out. And we're uh, driving away from the penitentiary. Um, leaving him again. And uh, she looked at me and she said, man, I just can't see how a guy like that can be serving life. And I said, yeah, you know what, you're right. And we got to we gotta do what we got to do to help him uh, as much as we can. And we had that conversation. And right then I knew, I already knew that that was going to be my wife, but right then it kind of solidified it. Mm-hmm. Like this girl, com- conservative household, homeschool, never been to a public school before. I'm way on the other side of the tracks. And yet we're meeting right here and saying, look, right is right, and wrong is wrong, and we need to help.
2: Wow. Question. You you keep saying that your father was serving life. Did, did he get out early for some reason?
3: or? Yeah, so he, he, he initially got, he was initially sentenced to two life sentences plus five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two life sentences came because when he grabbed the woman from the ATM, he tried to, or the person that grabbed the woman from the right. ATM, tried to take her behind the ATM to rape her, um, changed his mind when he got to the back of the ATM. Then took her in a vehicle. So essentially, the judge said he kidnapped her twice. So that's why he got two life sentences. Wait um, a
1: minute. Hold on. Wait. 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 What the hell? Wait. So since he changed his mind and said no, not here, we go go over here. That was two times.
3: That was two times. And about, I think it was in two thousand. Can't remember the exact year, but it, maybe it was about five years later. He got an appeals lawyer. And the appeals lawyer did a good job going up and fighting against that. Like you're saying, just because he changed his mind doesn't mean he should get doesn't mean it happened twice. And they got one life sentence thrown out. So um, yeah, after 27 years, he went up for a, for a parole a couple of times, and eventually they said, yeah, you know, it's, it's your time to get out.
1: So yo man, so look, did they ever find the dude that did it?
3: Yeah. So it's, interestingly enough. Um, and this goes into our case a little bit. As my father was being stopped initially, the police officer that was stopping him got a radio call. And the radio call said, we found we see a guy matching the suspect's clothing and we need help to try to chase this guy and to try to stop him. So they let my father go They go and chase the guy. When they chase the guy, he runs through the woods. They follow him. They don't find him, but they find a jacket that he was wearing. They take the jacket back to the uh, victim that was kidnapped show her the jacket and guess what she says hmm. yes that's the jacket that the guy has uh, had on not only was that the jacket but also the jacket was filled with blood more than likely probably from the rape correct and committed also and uh, uh wait a know, minute. this is all in the paperwork all in the paperwork
1: yes sir. okay all right so look 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 we're we gonna <laughs> we're gonna pause it for real this is a mess man like like what the okay no no, we know what it is all right we know what it is we, we get it it's just it, we get we, Jim, he'll do you, yeah right <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 let's yeah. go ahead and close this real quick man i got something to do. yo got to go hey 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 hey. supper's ready yeah, <laughs> yeah you know what i'm saying yeah. but listen ladies and gentlemen this is what we want to do we got to take a pause for the cause y'all we're going to be back with mr rashad up in the building all right He's here up in the den, y'all. But listen, don't go too far. I want you to utilize this time. Make sure that you're sharing this and, and telling everybody where you are right now. You're in the den. okay? you're in the den and we will be right back.
0: Monique Slater is a top negotiating award winning real estate agent in San Antonio, Texas. Her focus is on educating and empowering individuals on building general wealth through homeownership, while providing exponential service with integrity and excellence. Although her heart is for serving first-time homeowners and the military community, her clientele ranges from $100,000 to $2.5 million. Monique has developed an awesome team that can get anyone into a home and has sold homes in less than six hours. After servicing the Air Force for over 28 years, retired Chief Slater has a massive network so she can connect you with an awesome agent anywhere in the U.S. And if you're in San Antonio or relocating there, give Monique a call first to help you find your dream home. Give Monique a call at 210-237-7268.
1: One thing we can cherish during these times is family dinners. Think about it. The nice, succulent, southern fried chicken, baked beans cooked to perfection, creamy macaroni and cheese, cornbread. You get the point. Come check out Kevlar's Grill, where all the meals are cooked with perfection, professionalism, and love. Located outside the Scott Air Force Base back gate inside the VFW is where you can find them. Also, they have military discount for all of our serving members. Give them a call. Their number is 618-416-5700, and that's inside Scott VFW post 4183. And they also have Grubhub. Call them now and tell them that the Lions didn't sent you. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Seth with the Lions Den. Are you or someone you know looking for a tool to help them be more accountable? Check out The Black Collar Mindset, The Art of Strategic Thinking. It's a manual to help maneuver through life strategically by holding yourself accountable every step of the way. Go to theblackcollarmindset.com to grab your copy today. Again, the website is theblackcollarmindset.com. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. Let's get it together. Yo, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Lions Den. Welcome back. If you haven't done so already, make sure you are following us. Y'all, we got some dope, dope content all the time. And what we will really appreciate is your review if you're enjoying this show or any other shows that we've done make sure to click in the comments and see that you can go and give a review we appreciate that right it, it just helps us to utilize that that notability and then you get some stardom too you understand what i'm saying but so it's super super dope so just make sure you reach out and give us a review let us know how we can improve it we appreciate that yo what you think dog what's going on man is this ridiculous or what yeah it is man you know
2: and you got to think about this story there's a lot of stories out there like that Mm -hmm. especially from people back then you know what i mean it's like can you imagine doing 20 some odd years in a prison for something you didn't even do you was just walking to work you just walk into work normal day you pick up and your whole life has changed
1: forever Yeah. yeah You know what? It, it, it's it's heartbreaking. Not just that, man. What goes through my mind just listening to his story was <clears throat> how he was probably being treated within his own family. You get what I'm saying? Not just him, his mother. Like, look, you was with a convict, blah blah blah. You know what I mean? Your man in jail, blah blah. And so he has to go through life now. Part of it, I do understand, like a badge of honor, but. There has to be some level of shame there, right? That that wasn't even warranted. What you think about that? Man, it's like Central Park Five.
0: You mm-hmm. know
2: what I mean? It comes straight to my mind. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> over and over again. You know what I'm saying? That's why we really need to look at the the, the, the justice system, legal system, yes, and, and see what changes can be made. You know what I'm saying? To prevent. I mean, it's hard to say prevent. You know what I mean? But you know, really minimize these things from happening
1: that's true and plus utilize all the technology that we have to really like it, you know, yeah, right. yeah, utilize that but ladies and gentlemen he's back in the building yeah. man 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 welcome back brother welcome back man hey listen you're giving us a whole roller coaster full of emotions right now you know what i'm exactly. talking about for from the Women that's listening, right? That have men that's there that may have children that's in jail. To the uh, fatherless sons or daughters, right? That's going through it right now, man. And I just wanted to ask you about that. Um, Just going back, if you if you don't mind, how were you treated within your family?
3: So, because my mother always, you know, she's my mother and my grandmother, just the rocks in our family, Um, and they knew you know, without certainty that they believed that he was innocent. They weren't there that night, Mm -hmm. right? They weren't walking to work with him um, during that time. Um, But they always knew, you know, that that this was the case. And, um, I mean, my family treated me well. You know, I didn't feel like they treated me any different um, than anyone else. I think that him being away kind of tainted the relationship between me and his family. You know, my father's side of the family. And, look, my father was no angel at that time either. I mean, he had got in trouble a couple times when he was younger as a juvenile, things of that sort. So, um, so I think that might've played a, a little part also um, in everything that transpired um, once they, once they looked at, you know, some of his record too.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. And, um, but you know, it, it, man, fatherless son, you know, it's a, I eventually later on wrote a book about this situation because I wanted people to understand from so many aspects of it, you know, if your father's in jail, don't believe everything you read and don't believe everything you hear don't believe everything everyone tells you mm-hmm. um, but most of all um you know later on in life somebody has to tell your story mm-hmm. who's gonna tell that story who better than you right to, to tell that kind of story
1: right 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 what's going on Christy go ahead huh
3: hey so
2: father and son let's let's talk about the book son. um so in my mind you know I I mean I, I had my father and everything uh, but there's a lot of people that's out here you know what I'm saying grew up without a father right? And we just had to make it. You know what I'm saying? So, talk talk to us about the meaning of your book and what does "fatherless son" mean to you?
3: So, well, "fatherless son," um, I, I mean, I, the, the 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 title is as self explanatory, right? So many people out there grow up in the inner city without a in the inner city in the suburbs grow up without a father, and there's so many things that happen in your life, and when you stop and take it, and when you stop and, and think about it. You would see that a lot of things have happened, more than likely because that family was broken, right? So the first writing that I ever did was on Facebook. It was a story called "Scarred for Life," um, and if your viewers look real close, I have this scar that goes from the top of my head um, down to, you know, almost my eyebrow. And that story was a story about me and a young female uh, on a school bus. We got into an argument, and um, you know, got it to, got into a little skirmish. And I called her a B-I-T-C-H on a bus. Um, and, you know, growing up without a father, the streets teach you that you, whatever somebody says to you, you have to up it, right? So she said some things to me, so I upped it to another level with her. And uh, a couple minutes later, you know, she came back with a box cutter. I knew things went a little too far. And, you know, seconds later, I was sliced right down, right in the middle of my forehead. And uh, it brought on so many insecurities, um, you know, at that point. And, you know, I was said that My father, um, you know, didn't even didn't even really know him at that point. But I was just upset because I knew that that was the reason why this thing happened is because I don't have that father figure that was able to sit me down and say, hey, don't talk to women like that. The streets tell you to talk to women like that. Right. And I learned the lesson uh, the hard way with 52 stitches on the middle of my
0: forehead. Mm.
3: So. So 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 fatherless son, um, it's just uh, it's. It's a it's a ploy to all the people out there that grow that are growing up without a father to know that they can still make it, right? They can still be successful. They don't have to be um the stereotypical kid that might go on the step footsteps of the wrong path just because they don't have a father inside of their lives.
1: Wow. Wow, wow, wow. wow. You know, um <clears throat> I can really I can relate to that. Uh, my father was not um in my household growing up. And so life, especially the, uh, you know, your choices will grow you up for you. (laughs) You get what I mean? Or you may have different influences, right? Um, I've had a couple of them and don't get me wrong. Their methods of teaching wasn't right, but there was still lessons in that, right? So how were you able to find out who you were as a man without a father in your household,
3: man, that's a great question. Um, I think you know some advice a mother ha- mother gave me was your father might not be in your life, but there are so- there are other men that look like you that are African American men in our neighborhood that do do good, and you have to take those traits and those characteristics from those people and apply them to your life, right? <laughs> some of, some of the mentors that I had throughout life, football coaches, basketball coaches. Uh, teachers all those things every everyone that i've come across are all a um implementation of who I am today mm-hmm. right because of all the things that they poured into me and all the all the other all, all the um skills that they've given me in order for me to be you know the best man I can be and take care of responsibility and all those things and and even you know what even in the streets when there were drug dealers out on the street corner that knew me and, and grew up with me even they would tell me to do the right thing Mm -hmm. Look, your mom is telling you to do the right thing. You shouldn't be out here standing out here. You Mm -hmm. know, go home. Get off of the street. Stop hanging with him. You know what he does. Mm -hmm. All those things that they were even pouring into me, and they weren't doing them, right? So I just think it's a testament of of life, man, of God looking down upon me and blessing me and putting me in great positions and also giving me a a strong supporting cast from my mother, from the football coaches to the drug dealer on the corner, to everybody. Just Mm -hmm. pouring something in me that's going to help me be a better person. Wow. Yeah.
2: So so as you as you grow in adulthood, you know, what I mean, like now we talked about your early life, you know, growing up without your father, your father in prison, how you felt about that. You became a cop. You married with kids of your own. Right. So now now you're in the police force. Yeah. How does your father's your father's past and how you feel about what was how how his case was handled? How does that affect you today and how you handle your day-to-day as a police officer?
3: Yeah, so, uh, so one thing I had to get used to in police work was uh, when I started off in Philadelphia is just standing up for myself and, and, and giving people another perspective, right? When I got into the uh, Philadelphia Police Department in the academy, there were a bunch of people that came from police families, Right. They came from police families. So they already had that kind of that mentality that if somebody is being stopped, they're guilty. Right. They're, we're supposed to think uh, innocent till proven guilty or yeah, innocent till proven guilty. But in the police mind, everybody's kind of guilty. Right. Until they prove otherwise. And so I felt I felt as though I had to very quickly uh, be that other side of the fence of maybe he didn't do it. And, you know, some of my classmates and some of my partners, when I go down the streets of Philadelphia, would always say, yo, why are you always, Why you, you don't think anybody commits crime out here. And it, a lot of it will come back from my father that I was so careful to make sure if I'm locking you up, there's no doubt about it, that you did it. Hmm. If there's anything in the middle, hey, I'll just write the paperwork up and, and you can go home. But, um, but yeah, so it definitely affects me a lot, you know, having a father that, that that's one to
2: but real quick, so my bad
1: brother. No, no, it's good.
2: But does the history with your father, you know what I'm saying, have other cops look at you like, oh, you I don't know about this one. Did you have did you have any, you know, uh pushback because of y- your family history?
3: Uh I went to I I applied for two agencies. The first agency, I won't name 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 who they are, um, but they were a local agency and I applied for them and they took me through the ringer. Uh, because of my father. Um, You know, when I, when I told him that, look, I was three years old. My father went to jail. You know, they were, they were questioning me as if I was there with him, you know, the (laughs) night it happened, you know, like I was walking the street. yo, yo,
1: like, 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 like you was there helping them. Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. And I'm like, yo, you probably know him better than I do. You know more (laughs) of the case than, than I, than I would. So in those aspects it did. um, And when I would talk to other officers, um, not really because, you know, though we're police officers, we all have family that might have gotten in trouble at some point in some time. Gotcha. So, you know, and in, in that aspect, I don't, I don't think anybody looked at me any different. Um, they, 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 they knew I was there to do the right thing. And that's the one thing my, um, a sergeant that I had in Philadelphia used to always tell me, I could tell you're doing the right thing. So you're, you're going places in this agency, you know, don't, don't let anything, you know, from the past hold you back. So,
1: no. So oh, now, before we go into um, the future, because I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the conservative family. You dig what I'm saying? <laughs> because I know there had to be something stinky around there, right? But look, what I got a question is: Have you been in a situation, or were you in a situation when you was a, a police officer, where because you utilize empathy, right? utilize empathy he was like ah, i don't think this individual did it and then it came back to bite you in the ass like no that cat did it and because you was soft or whatever you ain't throw the book at him when he should like has that ever came back and hit you i think
3: it's around chapter 23 of my book okay um i talk about when i was on what's called the foot beat in philadelphia is where you get out of the academy and you have to you're not in a vehicle you have to walk on foot for about six months, and that's how you do your job. You have a little sector, and within that sector, you want want to meet everybody, um, meet the business owners, meet the grandmother crossing the the street, but you also want to try to know who the drug dealers are, who's carrying guns, all those things. And and I was that person, right, with the empathy. And I remember these three guys, they had their hood up, and uh, I went over to them and talking to them, and I love rap music, so uh, they had, I think it was the locks playing on their radio, and I'm talking to them, we're going back and forth And uh, in the middle of the conversation, one of the guys said, hey, I'm kind of thirsty. Can I run to the store real quick? And I'm saying, yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. It's all good. We're sitting here. We're talking. Um, Well, eventually, uh, my partner ran his name. And, you know, he came back with like six warrants. Like he was like wanted by everybody. And it just (laughs) I said, you got to be kidding me. Me Me and this guy were like. You know, right next to each other, yo slapping hands, everything, and this dude was on a run from everybody. And my, and you know, that's it was a hard, hard lesson learned. You was said you were going to get that drink,
2: bro? <laughs> <laughs> you
1: got yeah. of that, boy. Yeah, so, look, but, but look. at the same time, how would you have known though? You know what I'm talking about? So they they did
3: always teach you in in the academy to always be on guard, right? always think somebody is a suspect until they prove you wrong, especially until you run their name for something. Um, so I can't remember what they did. It, it was something that, they, something that they had done, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't nefarious. It wasn't anything big that we were going to like lock them up for or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my sergeant, who was, a, who was a young guy, white guy, and he would always say, Coleman, you're too nice, man. You're too trustworthy of people. Like though you're, though you're black, though you come from the inner city, though you got a lot of swag with you understand that you still have that badge and people don't like that badge man i don't want to see you get hurt you need mm. to be, you need to be a little more cautious about these things just cuz you know the same rapper that they know just cuz you can freestyle with them on a, just cuz you still have that badge on and surely enough man we went running for this running after this guy and one of the old guys on the corner he said come on that dude was like Usain Bolt coming through here man you ain't going to catch him he's gone <laughs>
1: So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's so that has happened to me before. Yo, that's wild because um, being prior military and and I know Herm he can attest to this. It's like when you go back home, you know, you 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 want to connect, right? Because that's your home. But at yeah, the same yeah. time, you got a job. It's like ah, you get what I'm saying. I can't do what I used to do because it's not that's not where I am right now and the responsibility. So hey, at least you grew up. You know what I'm t- saying?
2: <laughs> yeah, I grew up real quick. Real yeah, real
1: I'll take kicking it with him. What you got, Her?
2: Yeah, man, I did. I did corrections for like fifteen minutes, so I, I know what you're talking about. Fifteen hot minutes. Yeah, fifteen hot minutes. I was like, "Hey, what the hell am I doing here?" <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I saw inmate games that they try to run on you, make you feel comfortable and whatnot. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty. It's, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure the streets is even even worse. So. Yeah, because
3: I mean, everything was everything was a lie. You know, the, the guys' names I was talking to them about, they all lied about those. They all gave us fake names. The one guy that ran off, you know, they had all ditched their cell phones somewhere. So we, I mean, it was it was an absolute mess. Man, when I was t- a
2: kid, I never told the cops my real name, and I wasn't even doing nothing. Exactly. <laughs> well,
3: we, when I was a kid, we ran from cops and we weren't doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> they come, they, they coming around the corner. We, we out. We taking off down, a, down exactly. that way, hoping we get chased just because it was fun.
1: <laughs> and see, see, that's what I'm saying. How the hell you become the man? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about at the, at the end of the day. You're not the best ones, man.
2: I guess you know I understand.
1: So. I guess so. Training day. That's what it is. Hey, <laughs> so, hey, so look, I do I do want to talk about that though, man. Um, obviously, you grew up and you know, you want to have family and everything. So, what was it about this young lady and her family? And you know, it's like, yo, they're polar opposites, right? But what won them over? Or are they still questioning you after, after the, the grandkids and, and, and later, like what, what won them over?
3: Well, I, th- I think the grandkids, they all, you know, people tell you that, you know, when you have children, mm-hmm. things are going to smooth out. And, um, you know, we, we smoothed it out. I, I would say before then, but definitely the kids, you know, coming through and, and holding it down is always a, a light to every situation. Right. And, so it was tough, you know, I don't want to come on here and say it was off. It was peaches and cream. I mean, you have so many differences, even. Di- and I've been, you know, I've been dating, you know, white women since the eighth grade off and on. Um, but it was a lot different when I went to marry, you know, when I went when I went to get married, it was the, the way the way you look at the scriptures, you know, stuff like that. And, and the way your church, the way your church practices alongside the way their church practices. How they right. feel about uh, redemption, how you feel about redemption, how they feel about repentance to how you feel about repentance. And then wow. it becomes personal. Right. Because my grandmother is the matriarch of our family and, and she's prayed for all of us and, and, and had things happen. So when somebody tells you that your faith is not correct based on that, I'm looking at it from like around the corner. Like, so you're saying my grandmother is wrong. Mm-hmm. and Now you're being a district. You, you understand what I'm saying? So it's, yeah, know, it, it, it can be tough, but.
2: Damn Politics
3: and religion man The two hardest things
2: to talk about
3: And I love And I, those are things that I love man So me me, My father Or her father and I That's you know That's all we talk about When we see each other We have arguments about You know Politics And History And Civil War And World yeah. War II I love I love getting in those Getting into those discussions With him
1: and, Yo I know yeah, Thanksgiving Got to be out of line Out of there. control
3: <laughs> man, I, have the, I have the whole table on fire Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's my kind of scene right there. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A good friend of mine uh, named Calvin Brown, he was a, a mentor of mine. I went to him when we were having trouble doing our engagement about things. And he said, uh, you ever see the movie Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, nah, I've never seen it. He said, you got to watch the old school movie with Sidney Poitier. Yeah. yeah, he said, that that will help you out a whole lot. And to this day, that's my, uh, my wife and I, it's our favorite movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. You gotta be yourself,
2: man. You know what yeah. I mean? And and they either accept you or or they don't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yeah. But um, so so everything is going smooth there, right? You father yourself. Um, how do you feel like uh the experiences with your father, your relationship with your father, um reflects in your your parenting skills, your parenting style? Whew.
1: Uh man. Yo, you know what? That's that's kind of a dope question. Yeah. Because, like that's all I asked, though. Shut me. up. No, no, don't. You know. oh, that's all I asked. You, so you know what makes so ba- Hey, I think I gave you that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, though, no, man, that, that, that's a yeah. good point because it's like, how does that happen vicariously? Like, yeah. You get what I'm saying? When he wasn't yeah. there. And do you see any similarities now, right? Or based off of who he is as a man, right? and what you've grown to know about yeah, him. My question. You you, know, shut up. See, see, see. But <laughs> but, but, but do you see, do you see those similarities though? Yeah.
3: So I think one of the biggest, biggest things that I had to get used to in marriage and being a father was overcompensating um, as a father, mm-hmm. you know, just, just like always worried, like never wanting my son to say you weren't there for me. Never want my daughter to say you weren't there for me. Like, And just doing like, way too much, like never wanting to go out with my boys. Cause I'm like, nah, I got it. My daughter's crying. I, I'm not going anywhere. I never wanted to go take a trip, you know, with the fellas because I, I, I want to be here. So I had to I had to kind of weed myself off of that. Um, and also, you know, because I see my mother struggle so much um, and my wife's mother was a stay at home mom. So when I saw that dynamic, me and my wife had talked about it before we got married. And I said, you know, I want to be in a position where you can stay home. And I think a lot of that came because my mother had to work two, three jobs to, to, to keep food on the table and wasn't able to always be there to, to, to kind of be on our backs about things. Um, so m- mentally, I was saying to myself, I need to work two, three jobs just to make sure she's she's OK, that the kids are OK. When actually I could have just worked one job and she's good at, you know, sacrificing with things so that we you know so that the bills come in at a certain amount so that I can be there with the kids more. So I had to get it out of my head that all I am is a guy, you know, that's there sometimes and always there financially, if that if that makes sense. Yeah, you do. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I mean, it is it is a great question because I think it does affect me a lot. Um, Like I said, with overcompensating because my father wasn't wasn't ever there. You're scared scared to ever say
2: somebody somebody ever say you drop the ball. Yeah. yeah, So you're probably sensitive to that.
3: Yeah. Very, very, very sensitive to that. Very sensitive to that. And, and my wife says sometimes, no, go ahead. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Go ahead. You're fine. Like you're, you're, this is not, you're not in that, in that situation. Like you were here from day one. Like you don't have to worry about something like that. Something like you,
1: that. you know what, man? I'm, I'm so glad you said that, man, because <clears throat> I don't think we hear that enough. Okay. What I mean by that is, Hey, you are good. You see what I'm saying? Like you've already proven yourself. So, like it, it, it's. And, but then here's the thing: it needs to come from the right person. So your wife said, had to tell you, "Hey, look, you can kick it. We get it. Like you, you, you are you are the man in the house. It's okay." And so what I and, and Herm, her, tell me what you think about this. This is almost like um, indirect post traumatic stress, mm. if you think about it, because. He's being or or, and I don't want to speak for you, but it's like you're subconsciously wanting to do something or or be in a state of protection or worrying when it's not even reality. You get what I'm saying? Because your reality is you're there. I mean, does that make sense?
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, even in like the kids, you know, kids are gonna scream at night, they don't want to go to bed, things of that sort. Like I'm the father that wants to go in there and lay on lay on the bed you know, sleep and sleep in there, you know? Yeah. And my wife was like, no, they're, they're crying. They're going to be fine. Like, let them." but I have that, like you said, kind of that trauma right. of not having a father there and being scared in my room because we don't have a male in our house. Know. And I'm like, "No, nah, I gotta, you know, I gotta be there. I gotta be right there with them. So yeah, that's, a, that's a good explanation of how it is.
2: Yeah, I got I got to agree with Doctor Seth
3: over there, man.
2: You know oh, shut up! <laughs> I mean, but, but you know what I'm saying. No, I do, but I I wouldn't even say that it's indirect. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I would say that it's direct trauma. You know what I mean? Uh, that that you that you would have to deal with because how you came up with your father didn't have him since he was three, but he was right there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He 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 wasn't it wasn't like he was passed away or nothing. You know what I mean? Like he was there, but it wasn't accessible to you. And now you're a father and want to make sure you do all the right things. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to leave no stone unturned. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, when do you get a chance to breathe if if that's how it is?
3: Yeah. Are yeah, you finding yeah. that now? I am. I am. I'm work I'm working through that a lot. And uh I I I'm trying to get that, you know, get that time. Like I mean, my team is the Eagles. I'm Eagles heavy, but that's my dad. Man, since I had kids. You know, I, I rarely, I'm really like getting around to catch the game. Everybody talking about it at work on Monday. And I'm like, oh, what happened? Who? You know, so I'm, I'm trying to I'm slowly I'm slowly getting back there. Right?
1: So, you look, know? hey, look, I, I got one last question. That I'm gonna give it to Herm for his final one, man. Um, since we talk a little bit, just we just touched on a little bit about the trauma. Did you have to go through any type of counseling to actually wrap your mind around what? was missing in your life and being able to fully provide that for your family? And did you sense that something was missing? And so that you went to get some type of professional help to deal with that or what? What did you do Um, to cope?
3: No, I never got any professional help, but I'll tell you what has helped me out the best was writing this book right here, Mm -hmm. Fatherless Son. Um, Mm -hmm. Writing that book was so therapeutic um, and, and just interviewing my mom a little bit, talking to my father, talking to his siblings. You know, one, th- one thing I noticed about him, right, and, and some of the things that he had went through is his his grandfather got into it with his great-grandfather, and his great-grandfather kicked him out. Same thing happened with the next generation. His grandfather got into it with his father, kicked him out at, like, 15. When it came to him, same thing, kicked out at 14. So it was just, like, this line of things yeah. that will happen, and, and it kind of, like, brings you to the mentality, oh, man, that's why, you know, these these things happen in our community so much because – they're just trends that keep going, and until you figure out that trend, it's it's hard to stop it. Um, and also, I wanted to talk to talk about some more things about his case too when we get
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, go ahead, man. Because we yeah. run running No, but go ahead. Go ahead.
3: Sure. So just just real quick, um, I know. I you know, I'm coming on here saying my father didn't do it, so people people are probably like, yeah. How, how do we know that, right? So after 27 years, he gets out. We start looking into his case, and one thing that I saw in his case was that the FBI at one time was a part of his case. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that anytime the FBI is a part of a case, it usually means it crosses state boundaries or the local agency had to reach out to the FBI for some assistance. So what they did in this case was they reached out, they swept the vehicle that he allegedly kidnapped the woman in, the woman in, and um, took all of his clothing, all of his belongings, his fingernails, his pubic hairs, everything, sent it to the FBI, took all of the female victims, um, car fibers, uh, coat jacket, shoes, and sent it to the FBI. And the, F- the the local agency just asked the FBI, hey, can you just show us some fibers that match each other? All we need is evidence to show that this guy, Daniel Coleman, was inside of the vehicle. And before the trial started, the FBI reported back to the local police agency and told the local police agency emphatically, there is no evidence, zero evidence showing that Daniel Coleman was inside of that vehicle that he was found guilty of. And sentenced to two life sentences plus five years. Wow! Wow! So, so, this is ongoing. This is ongoing. Yeah, we're actually right now we're waiting on on a word back from a, from a higher up um, in the state of Delaware that's looking into the case. And, and you know, hopefully we hear something. You know, hopefully we hear something good. Um, so he he got out. We went up for appeal. Uh, talked to talked to the. Uh, I'm sorry. Went up went up in front of the parole pardon and parole board because after he was out for a year because of the kind of crime that he got, which I didn't know, even as a police officer, when you get life sentence, that that uh, enables the state to monitor you for the rest of your life. Even though we let you out at 27 years, we can still put a monitor on you until the day that you die.
0: Yes.
2: So that's
3: what they did. They put a monitor on him a year after he was out and it essentially said, it's there forever until you die. So at that point, you know, we just got more, more vigorous about fighting his case went in front of the parole board and parole board said, okay, he's, he, this is enough. All this evidence is looking crazy from the state side, cut the ankle monitor off of him, let him go, let him go live his life, you know, let, let, let him do his thing. And so we've got that part. So he's totally free from the system at this point. But now we're just working to wipe his his uh, slate completely clean.
1: That's wow. Well, well, listen, real quick, it seemed like y'all is on the road to getting a check, and so you can donate to the uh, Lions Pride Network <laughs> right yep. on. Uh, we, we would love that. But no, man, Um, dope. That's super dope. Go ahead, last word, huh? What you Thank
2: got? You, first and foremost, uh, for you to be able to come and talk about this stuff, I, I want to send a shout out to your father right now. You know <laughs> what I mean? I don't know if he's watching or whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> My, my best wishes to you and your family on that on that process right I'm, like Chrissy said hoping for the best um but for you man to come out here and speak about it uh really appreciate it you know what i mean i know you're working on a relationship with your father and you know what i'm saying i'm i'm hoping for great things with that you know um love talking with you man you're a great man uh your book fatherless son you know what i'm saying I'm, i want to get a copy
3: of it make sure i read it even though i don't read uh, at all well, we, we, we so on uh www.arthur is a-u-t-h-o-r-r-a-s-h-o-d that's there you can get the paperback and you can also get um uh the digital copy but also on audiobooks.com for people <laughs> that don't want to read they also have an audiobook version uh ready for you too there
2: hey, you go hey much respect man much love man i hope to see you further down the line
1: right on Hey, brother listen i want to give you a minute if there's anything you would like your audience to know I right, you you got the floor brother
3: sure first thanks a lot for having me guys i appreciate it thank you for for the platform and for the audience at this point um a fatherless son is is a it's just a story of a young kid it's not a unique story because so many people have went through this as we spoke earlier about emmett till you know emmett, the lady that the lady that uh uh said that Emmett Till did it. She's still alive, which is amazing, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But there's no accountability. And I know we spoke about this earlier um, of how you can change these things in the justice system. And I think it's simple. I think the simple answer is holding people accountable. If a police officer withholds evidence, he needs to go to jail. If a prosecutor does something nefarious, a prosecutor does something wrong, they need to be held accountable. If that happens, then things will change. Um, but unfortunately, you know, like anything else, you have politics involved. So,
1: Yes, sir, Keep you alone. do. Well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the Lions Den. A hey, thank you, brother, for being on, man. Yes. Yes very 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 moving very timely very timely and ladies and gentlemen again if you haven't done so already make sure you take some time give us a review let us know how you you know if you appreciate the show and any other topic you would like us to touch on rashad i think we need to have you back brother yeah, because there, i
3: mean there's a lot of things that we need to talk about we talk i mean we got into the marrying a white woman but i know it's like going into a conservative family but if we want to really really dive in we got to we got. We got to come back
2: for that. Hey, real quick, man. I want to give a shout out to his family too, man. His yes. family mm-hmm. came in these comments. The yes. yes, yes, Good yes. Guys, for coming in and watching.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Look, we do appreciate the support, and that's what it takes, right? That's what it takes. So, y'all, listen. This show will be available for at least two to three more days. But don't forget, you can go to your Amazon or Roku. And then you can download Lions Pride Network and catch all of the shows and, and all the other content creators. But anyway, this has been the Lions Den. We'll will let y'all soon. Right on. Right on. We
0: hope you enjoyed today's show. Make sure to listen to the show on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker and Radio Public, where you can subscribe or via RSS. So you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you like or dislike this episode, we'd appreciate your feedback on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Lionscast. Check out the book, The Black Collar Mindset, The Art of Strategic Thinking on Amazon or www.theblackcollarmindset.com. A manual to maneuver through life strategically by holding yourself accountable. Tune in next week for another episode of The Lion's Den with Seth.